Welcome to Cloud and Clear, the podcast by SADA for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. All right, welcome to Cloud and Clear. Today, we have a very special guest, a different kind of guest that I've had so far. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Stephen Arcani. So Steven is a professional race car driver, is now 16, but he's someone whose career we've tracked for a long time. We've been a sponsor uh, of him and uh, his various kind of race, race cars through, uh, through history. <laughs> and I guess our, our biggest sort of partnership and engagement came out of Google Next uh, this year where we had by far the coolest booth, you know? Hands down. Hands down, right? You, you, you walked around as well, a little bit? A little bit. I mean, it was totally different having the car there compared to everything else. Yeah. That was like the biggest thing out there. It was almost cheating. Kind of. Kind of. Right? But it wasn't. It was yeah. fine. <laughs> People were like, Tony, is that your car? I'm like, no, that's Steven's car. He drives this car. He's standing right there. Do you want to talk to him? <laughs> so that was obviously... Uh, it was a great showpiece, and at these uh, events, you, de you definitely want to draw attention to the booth. There's actually a lot more behind that, um, which we'll cover later. I mean, there was actual purpose. We actually did something um, uh, racing data related using Google Cloud, and it was on, on full display. But I want to backtrack a little bit, because I, th I think people have heard of our you know relationship. We've been certainly promoting it. We've been talking about it. Um, I want to talk. I want to give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit, and and then you know, there's there's many reasons why we were attracted to um, what you were doing in your journey, in your life, in your career. It was above and beyond. Obviously, we have a relationship with your father, and he's he's an amazing person. But um, go back a little bit into how you became a now 16 year old professional race car driver in a Lamborghini. Let's backtrack a few years. How did it all start? Um, hitting the rewind button, we start out age six. Six years old. Um, I've been playing racing games for God knows how long. Um, and I just had this huge passion for cars and like the speed. And my father himself was, and still to this day, is actually a car collector. Um, and it's almost, it just always fascinated me, you know, the shape of the cars, the way they look, how different they are from one another. And it just drew me in and it's something I all, like I always loved. Um, <clears throat> just having like that, that speed, like the feeling of the adrenaline when you're driving. Yeah. Um, so when I was seven years old, I got into my first uh, go-kart and we hired uh, a coach, uh, which is actually a good friend of ours at the time, uh, still is to this day. And in the year, Two, three years, I uh, already passed him. <laughs> and uh, once that happened, um, he told my father that it's time to stop go-karts. Let's get him into an actual car. And again, how, being, how old are you at that point? Probably late 10, moving on to 11. And I'm already moving into street cars at this time. Come on. <laughs> Can you reach the pedals? I mean, you're pretty tall. But I mean, I did you're have pretty, to do a lot of speed distance. Tall now. I mean, know. back then, I will say it was pretty short. I mean, I probably got my, my like height when I was 14. 
Yeah. Um, so it was a little hard. You know, the, I'm going back to like things. Indiana Jones, you know, that scene yeah. where that kid like is driving that car, but he has these bricks tied to his feet. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The pedals <laughs> that just were my mind. <laughs> um, and so when I was, uh, when I first turned 11, I started doing like streetcars and I would go to private track days where we would um, actually rent the track out and basically just, you know, have another instructor there to train me uh, and be along with me through the entire journey um, and basically set up a very good base and foundation for me to like work on and start um, really progressing on. Um, moving along, uh, after driving streetcars for a year, age 12, uh, my father purchased the Lamborghini Gallardo Super Trofeo, the race car. And at first I was looking at the car and I was going, Oh, there's no way in hell I can drive this thing. <laughs> this thing is way too crazy for me. Right. And he was just like, no, nope, you got this. So I just sat in the car. I mean, we had to put extra padding on the seat because I couldn't <laughs> really look over the dashboard to reach the pedals that much. So after we got the uh, the padding sorted and all the seat adjustments, uh, we went out and I sucked. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I was I did terrible. I mean, my first time driving a race car, it was, it was totally different. How old you know? were you at that point? 12. 12. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my first time driving the race car, I definitely wasn't the best. I mean, I wasn't the slowest guy out there, but definitely was very far from the quickest. But you were probably the youngest. Easily. <laughs> yeah. That might have something to do with that. A little bit. But just to have, I think, the bravado to want to do it. Yeah. And obviously, encouragement from your dad was important, but. Um, so yeah, so I wasn't the best and I was like, I told him, I was like, there's no way I can do this. He's like, I'm not good at it. And he was like, that's how I was when I started. So I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be like that. So then after that, we just started doing training and more training. And we were training almost, we were at the track. I don't know, I don't remember. I mean, it got to the point where I was getting heat rashes from being in the car for so long and, you know, always being at the track. I mean, I'm pretty sure we were there almost once a week, once every other week. And for, I mean, racing and practicing, that's, that's a lot of like driving time. Um, moving on forward after about a year for that car, uh, because we trained so much, we basically outdrove the car. And then we moved into the Huracan Super Trofeo, um, still part of the Lamborghini franchise, obviously. And we just did more practicing with that car. We wanted to try and run in the Lamborghini Super Trofeo series, but at that point I was uh, 13, 14 and uh, IMSA said no because of age. Mm -hmm. You have to be 16 in order to drive. I think that's about the time we started like being I think, a sponsor or something. Uh, I actually think it was once I was getting toward the end of the first Lamborghini. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, even a little earlier than that, I remember. Yeah. And then after about a year of driving the Huracan as well, we switched over to the Huracan Evo, which was the normal... Um, the Huracan race car, except it had uh, different aero, different bodywork. Um, I think a little bit different of the uh, internal line technologies. I'm not a hundred percent certain about that. Um, and then we tried to get back into the Lamborghini series, and they still said no. And I was 15 at the time, and we were just like, "Well, what do you do now?" Mm -hmm. um, like you got to keep driving. Exactly. Um, so we decided to 
basically just keep training on the car. Mm-hmm. And again, about a year, year and a half after uh, having that car and practicing, um, we switched over to the Mercedes GT3 car, mm-hmm. um, which was basically a big step from you know a cup car to a GT3 car, as in the horsepower difference. You know, it's not the same like brand, so I'm, you know I have to adapt to like the way the car feels, how the chassis is, mm-hmm. and everything. And I think that was a pretty big like light bulb in my face that says, you know, there's so many different cars on track. Having that knowledge of how every single other car is will help you get that extra gain on the mm-hmm. other person. And basically, like the big thing about it is that I just love doing it. Mm-hmm. That's like that's why I keep wanting to go back and go to go to more races and you know, and that's just like the addicting thing is like the feeling of the speed and like really getting that that win because you know, all this training, this hard work it all pays off. And I think that's what you know really keeps you pushing. Yeah, even being just kind of tangentially involved in your in your career through, um, uh, you know, I came to, to to one of the races. I know my teams have, around the country have gone to a few, you know, um, uh, to kind of witness what you're doing on the track. But just to kind of track your 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 regimen and the different seasons and the evolution. Like one thing that's clear is how you're just, there's no way you can stop. Like, this is like such a part of what makes you tick. You would do it if there was, if it wasn't a paid gig, (laughs) you'd still do it. Like, it's one of, it's just one of those things that you'll do no matter what. And I think that's part of what makes people exceptional in their craft is, like, would you be doing this thing if there was just no money in it ever? <laughs> and um, and I think a lot of that is, you know, some people may talk talk a big game with regards to that, but I think it's people's sort of choices and decisions and regiments that demonstrate that. And I've just kind of known and seen you to be, like, very disciplined. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, oh, somebody's kid likes cars. No, this is like the way that I, I saw you guys kind of interface, you know, at the race, between races, between you and your dad and your coaches and uh, your uh, race team, you know, uh, U.S. Race, Racetronics with Shane. Like, I was like, they are dead serious. Yeah. And they're extremely passionate. And they would know, they would do this no matter what. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, um, you know, we take age and we basically throw it out the window. You know, that mm-hmm. doesn't matter to any of us, as in the case of I'm racing out there with guys that are 20, 30, 40 years old that mm-hmm. have so much more racing experience than me. However, I'm going out and I'm passing them. And it's like, you don't see me as a 16 year old, you know, you see mm-hmm. me as a fellow race car driver. Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest thing about Shane is that he doesn't, he doesn't look down on anyone, like mm-hmm. no matter who they are or, you know, their age or their experience or anything. And I think that was kind of like the huge thing was just having someone that truly is like there to race. You know, he doesn't care yeah. about any other factors. He's yeah. just there to go and win. Yeah. And this is multitude of facets, which kind of made me like very attracted to what you're doing. Part of it is I think like um, 
I myself have been like the one that's too young doing whatever I'm doing, you know, like I'm, I'm 41, but I've been doing this thing at Sada since I was what, 22, 23. And like, nobody should have a CEO title at like 25, (laughs) you know, or 26. And it was kind of uh, crazy, but you know, I just feel like there's a, it's like, we're in this game of being the underdog to some extent, like, we're smaller, we're younger, we're scrappy, we work harder than anyone. And I saw that same same set of attributes mm-hmm. in you and, and kind of your team. And I was like, yeah, that we're like, we're cut from the same cloth. We do <laughs> completely different things, but we're, you know, we have no business doing what we're doing. <laughs> and some people might be like, a 16-year-old has no business doing what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about like, you know, we're all attracted to, well, a lot of people are attracted to like, cars and racing because it's so exotic so beautiful and but like i think performance in in sport and and the reason that we're you know a lot of us are into sport whether it's racing or it's like tennis like what we saw at wimbledon or it's the nba or nfl it's like golf I, i think there's this layer this abstracted layer of like top performance which People study, you know, there's like, I think you can get PhDs in this stuff. Like, um, I saw a great documentary around, you know, the highest performing people in sports. And, and sports is a corollary to me for everything else. It's just what you guys do is just far more visible. It's documented. It's televised. Mm-hmm. Stories are written about it. It's part of our culture. So I think there's a we have a lens into sports and into, you know, racing that doesn't exist in like marketing or like (laughs) being a CEO or whatever. But I think there's a set of things that makes or increases the probability of someone being exceptional at something. Mm. I want to talk about like what that means to you. Cause there's, Lots of factors, right? There is um, just the activities and the regiment and the discipline. But I think a lot of it, frankly, in the world of business too, is psychological. There's a huge psychological element. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe like if you look at top athletes, for instance, the, the, the difference between like number one and number 30 or number 50 or number 100, like they're, they're sort of um, maybe athleticism. The difference in their athleticism is, is relatively minor. Mm-hmm. It's really everything else. In my view, I don't know. That's just from yeah. an outside perspective. But can you tell me about how you handle that aspect of trying to be the best or one of the best in your craft? I mean... Obviously, it's very tough, you know, I'm going against people that have 20 plus years of like driving and racing experience compared to mine where I've only technically been racing for about four years now, five years. Um, I mean, it's very tough to try and compete with them, but obviously we put in the extra work, you know, we do more practices, we do more sim time. And uh, I think that's like our biggest help is just having all those extra practices because um, kind of like going back a little bit, 
Um, when I was practicing in, when I was 12 years old in the Lamborghini Gallardo, um, going a year after the Huracan, I started racing in the NASA series, um, which basically was like spec E30s, spec Miatas, um, like ST1, ST2 cars. And even though I had no experience with actual like driving the other cars on track, just knowing the track and knowing the car, basically I just put the other cars in as a variable. And I think um, the biggest help was just, you know, practicing, just knowing how to drive basically helped me get around those cars and gave me the knowledge of what to do in this part of the track. If this guy's there, you know, how to get around them. Um, and I kind of put that into the same perspective for, you know, the racing, uh, the more practice, I just put the cars in as a variable, you know, I know exactly how to take care of them. I have the uh, experience and basically that's my, uh, you know, only form of keeping up with these, you know, these top notch big dogs, except only thing is I can do a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess that is technically the one advantage of, you know, being this young and this age is that whereas um, these other adult race car drivers have, unless, you know, racing is their full profession, then they have jobs or families or stuff to, to you know, <laughs> worry about. Yeah. And the only thing that I really have to worry about is um, my school and just practice, which, I mean, I come back from school. I mean, I'm, I'm off at two and I'm, I'm practicing for hours. Mm-hmm whether it's actually on the track or if it's on a sim and even just that one extra hour or one thirty minute like session it does you know so much because it keeps adding up over time mm -hmm. and i think that's you know my form of trying to keep up with these guys so you have an unfair advantage because you don't have you know kids in a family yet so i technically i kind of have an advantage over that <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think i think i'm winning in that part but of they life. have years and years on top of the, you know, you have experience on top of you. So I think it just sort of evens out. Mm -hmm. That's what I would do if I was your age. Just practice all the time. But how do you handle the psychological part of it? Again, I think the difference between number one and number 50 is may, may not even be talent, may mm -hmm. not even be athleticism. You may not be the most talented racer. I don't know. Like, again, there's all these stories of quarterbacks of where, you know, Tom Brady started pick number 199 or, or whatever. Like, I'm not a huge NFL historian, but, you know, Jordan was picked third. You know, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that was just a drafting mistake, but um, Kobe, when he started, all, all these things. Yeah, I mean. Like how, with, like, how do you handle the psychological, not only the pressure, <laughs> pressure, pressure at the track, expectations pressure, but you're on your own conversation in your head. How do you handle that? I mean, to be honest, um, like pressure has absolutely zero effect on me. I mean, I walk into the track and I go, all right, I'm just here to drive. You know, I'm sitting in my car before race. I'm like, all right, can we start driving? It's like, I'm, I'm there to like drive and drive and race other cars. You know, I'm not worried about what the guy next to me is doing. I'm not worried about what he's thinking, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my I have my schedule, I stick to it, and that's it. You know, there's no other thoughts in my head. I mean, before a race, I'm you know, I'm just closing my eyes like I'm in my zone and just basically getting my head ready, you know, putting out all other factors and just focusing on the track ahead and 
not looking behind me because what's behind me is already done. You know, we're focusing on attacking. We're looking forward. Um, and basically, you know, you can have other race car driver, uh, other race car drivers, trying to get in your head. You know, they'll come up to you. They'll like talk to you and stuff. And you know, even they'll talk. Uh, talk smack behind your back. I mean, mm -hmm. it's racing. It is what it is. You know, it could be the same thing. It, it happens out in the world. It happens mm -hmm. out in other sports. Mm -hmm. You know, racing isn't the only place where trash talking takes place. Um, but I think racing has probably the worst form of trash talking since, you know, you're not, you can't throw a ball back and forth and hit each other ahead. You know, you're dealing with three hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollar cars that have 600 horsepower you can yeah. ram into each other which would do a right. lot more damage than a ball hitting your face right um so yeah, i think i mean it's it's <laughs> definitely more dangerous than yeah i mean it's a lot of other sports a lot of it's very dangerous <laughs> um but yeah so basically it's just try to keep the right guys in the right place and try to keep or excuse me try to stay away from the wrong guys in racing mm-hmm and uh, I just basically throw that in the back of my head. But once I'm in the car, everything goes away, and I just, I just drive. I, I think just that, just that mindset at your age is pretty advanced. <laughs> <laughs> I think people under their thirties, forties, fifties don't always learn how to focus to that extent. How to, how to have a mindset that's like. I'm actually competing against myself. I'm competing against my last lap time or my last race. Mm -hmm. And uh, competition exists. It's a reality in our business. There's competition, obviously. But we really kind of... And I'm competitive, too. Like, I want to be, you know, the best at what we do and all that stuff. But I know that at the end of the day, we're just competing against ourselves. Like, are we, like, I feel like we're the only thing that can get in our way. Because, I mean, no one else can really stop you. You know, it's having the thought of other people stopping you is what, st is what you know, you're stopping yourself because of that. Totally. And, you know, we're, we're throwing that out. We're throwing that out the window. We're not paying attention to that. You I know, we're, totally we're only looking forward. We're only looking for green lights. We're not stopping at all. We're yeah. just going to keep charging through everything, yeah. you know, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much hour, like how many hours it takes, yeah. we're just going to, you know, keep going. We're not going to, we're not going to stop because once we stop, it'll be hard to keep the train, like, or start the train back up. Yeah. So we're just going to try and keep moving through everything, no matter what obstacle it is. I think that too. I, th I think that there's not like one other, there's no set of external factors that are going to prevent us from achieving what we want to achieve. Like, mm -hmm. like we can be our own worst enemy. And not execute or not train or yeah. not um, have a, the required mindset. But that's pretty much it. And I think that's also like, isn't it also empowering and liberating to be like, look, it's all, it's all me. Good, yeah. bad. It's all my fault. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or it's all, you know, it's, 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 it's a, I think it's confidence building because it's a, it sort of expresses a sense of control. Mm -hmm. So you had a pretty good outcome in the most recent race. Mm -hmm. uh, and thank you for, for bringing to Sada the, uh, a trophy and 
course. And your suit, all signed. <laughs> it's, it's framed already. Did you see that? I didn't, I didn't check it. Yeah, but so I'll go out and I'll check it. Framed it on the wall. <laughs> it's really cool. We've never gotten anything like that before. Do um, you want to talk about that? Like, where does that race fall in the season? Um, c- kind of what happened. I was actually in the air when, when it was happening because it was like middle of the afternoon. Yeah. It was literally an airplane. I didn't get to watch it. I'm, I'm trying to find the uh, a, 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 a recording or something. I think your dad sent me a link of how I can get it. But but I heard it was uh, pretty phenomenal. So just tell, tell us about that and kind of where it fits into into the, the season and the career path and everything else. I mean, it was the second race of the Lamborghini Interpretive Fail Series for 2019. And the reason why the second race was because the first race that happened, I, if I remember correctly, in February or March, I wasn't 16 at the time, so I couldn't drive. Wow. So I missed the first race because, <laughs> because of that, which uh, definitely, you know, wasn't, we weren't the happiest of, uh, of cookies in the jar. Because you can't get points if you don't race. Exactly. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we're behind on points as of not going into the series. I mean, definitely this double first place victory helped us a lot. Um, so you missed the first race. I mean, everybody else just has that advantage. Like, they got the race in the first race. Exactly. You come into the second race where they've all done they've it. They've already raced. They know who they're up against. And, you know, you have this this 16-year-old coming into the field and you're like, what the hell? He's in front of me and you're getting, <laughs> getting first place. Um, I mean, the feeling... Double first. First of all, what does that mean? Uh, so there's a race... That weekend was a little weird compared to most weekends. Usually it'll be a Saturday and Sunday race. However, yeah. this was a Friday and Saturday race. Yeah. Um, so actually Friday we qualified and then later that day we raced, which usually doesn't happen too much. It's yeah. kind of a rare occasion for them to do that. Same day. Um, so Friday, first race. First place, easy, no problems whatsoever. Um, what's easy? How many seconds is easy? I mean, second place was kind of like two, three seconds behind me. Okay. But again, that was with, you know, a well-timed pit stop and well-timed strategy. Yeah. Um, Saturday, second day, uh, had a little problem, a little mishap, got uh, hit or, I mean, it's kind of like a weird situation. Um, Paul Tracy, former IndyCar uh, champion, him and I were having a very good battle. Um, and just, you know, racing's racing, cars collide, mm-hmm. rubbing's racing. If you're not doing that, you're not truly driving the car. Mm-hmm. You're not truly driving with someone else. So we both came around, both went out to the gravel. He got out before me. I was stuck backwards. And there I am sitting in last place. Oh. I'm in 18, 19 position, and I have cars going past me. And I'm like, all right, well, I can't really do anything besides drive. So I started driving. And it brought the car back from last place up to a sixth overall position. Took first in class from wow. that uh, from that last place uh, mishap right there. Um, and just you know having that feeling of knowing that I can you know I can do that. That's probably a worst case scenario of getting punted into last place. Yeah. Um, and being there for about two laps. Two laps. Yeah, I mean Jesus. it was tough where I can catch anyone. Like, I'm pretty sure I started 
once I started driving, like the first place guy was like a couple corners behind and he was like catching up. But then I started putting the hammer down and I was like, I'm not ha- taking any of this, you know, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting what just happened and I'm driving the car to the limits right now, every single lap in the race, which usually you don't want to do too much. Mm-hmm. You want to save the car, mm-hmm. but because of the situation, I said, screw it, forget that. Run driving the car as hard as I can. We just talked about that, like recovering from something you can't control necessarily. Like it just, exactly. it just happens. Let's say you could, whatever, maybe you could have done something a little differently. But the fact is, the reality is, you're in the gravel. You know, you're trying to get out of there as quick as you can. You're trying to get back on track loose and make sure nothing's wrong with the car, tires aren't punctured. And if that's fine, you know, start hauling. And you're in last place. Yeah. Jesus. Which is... <laughs> it really sucks. That's what I'm saying. Like that, those moments are like can be that can be just completely demoralizing. Mm-hmm. And it's like once you're in that position, you kind of just think and you just go. I mean, should I even bother like driving or racing anymore? Like, that's what I mean. Because I mean, you could easily just park the car and um, quit the race for Take that day. He was like, uh, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, but it's just like those drivers; those aren't drivers. It's the ones that get into the problems and keep pushing. For the win. Those are the true drivers. They're the ones that don't give up. And the ones that keep their head up. That's the biggest thing. Whereas even if it's life, other sports, you know, it it doesn't matter. Like, example, basketball, you're down 30 points and your entire team is thinking, well, what the hell are we going to do? We can't do anything. We're down 30 points since the last half. I mean, you know, you always need that one guy that picks their head up and goes, no, everyone get up. Like, we can do this. Let's go. Like, exactly. That's all in our head. It was like, there's nothing to like think or worry about. We can do this. Um, yeah. And just putting that factor, you know, into racing saying, I can do this. There's no point in stopping. We've come this far. You know, I'm going to keep driving and I'm going to keep trying and pushing. And so getting that win, you know, it just, it just brought like pure, like joy to me. Um, because of you know all the factors all the variables we have to deal with it was a lot that day i mean it looked pretty uh pretty gloomy for for us to even pull out a third place win yeah let alone we pulled out first place that second day so that it was pure joy that second day amazing (laughs) those are the stories man i'm telling you like that's what i see in you and i see that in other people and organizations that are you know teams that are trying to be the best in the world at something and there's there's a few things that are just completely common Mm -hmm. with all organizations and people that think that way and i think that ability to recover is probably top you know one or two difference makers in you know those who are best in class and those are those who aren't like that ability to recover because yeah i mean arguably like it takes also a lot of mental um, stamina to train and do all the, you know, all the just routine stuff that's so important. But like that ability to recover isn't like for for granted. You can't just not it's just not automatic in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's amazing. And we were just talking about that, and it was part of like. <laughs> not that long ago where there was a clear example of yeah i think what makes you special so season wise where are you guys right now 
Um, I mean, that was race two. So. Yeah, that was race. Uh, that was the second actual like full weekend of racing in the series. We're going on to the third one. Um, in about, if I'm not mistaken, two weeks from now, three weeks, uh, we're going to go out to Wisconsin for Road America. Um, I mean, obviously, Road America is a love or hate track. You know, there's not really an in-between of, oh, I like this section, this one's okay. You know, it's kind of like, you either like it or you don't. Um, and I think that's going to really get in the heads of a lot of drivers. Um, and I think definitely after this race, a lot of people that are going to be talking, and I'm pretty sure the other guys in my class are going to have, you know, their tails behind their backs and thinking, well, this guy just came in, his first race ever with us. Mm-hmm. And he beat us, you know, so they're probably rethinking. And that's the thing is that they're worrying about what we're going to do, what we're planning, what we're, what our schedule is. Whereas we're sitting here and we're having a normal conversation. Like we're just talking normally right now. You know, we're not caring about what they're doing. Um, and I think it's just, you know, getting in their head because once you're out, you're next to them or you're behind them and they go, oh, like crap. Like I know what this guy can do. But who knows if you can pull something out and you just have that constant thought. <clears throat> Whereas racing what's in front of them, they're racing what's behind them. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a formula for disaster for sure. <laughs> and uh, again, I think if you were to outline like the collection of things, strategies, or just mental kind of positions on things, another top five is like just worry about you, what you do, mm-hmm. what you can control. There's a lot of things you can't control. Let's worry about that. Yeah. I think a lot of people spend time in all all the sports of life <laughs> worrying about what other people are, are, are going to do. And, yeah, it's not – it's not because it's like part of that is like because you can't control it. So mm-hmm. why spend a second thinking about how much they're going to train, what they're going to eat that day? Like, exactly. That's, like, <laughs> no, you take no part in that. <laughs> I think that's really powerful. So, what's next? Like, how long does the season go? And then, where do you like? What's the plan? Because you switch, you know, cars and, and, and teams. But like, what's the plan? You're back with Lamborghini now. Um, the plan is to finish this race season. You know, see where we stand, see where we finish. Just because of us being a race down, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. to really try and take this. It's race season, being honest. Um, so we're going to come back next season, do every single race again, mm-hmm. and really win that one. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we aren't here to mess around or get pushed around. You know, we're here to drive. And, you know, that's what we're really putting our foot down and proving to other people is that, um, well, I mean, people still look down at me, obviously, because of the age. And we're saying, who cares about that? If you can drive and if you're a competitor, who cares how old you are? Mm -hmm. You know, you can train a seven-year-old or an 80-year-old to do the exact same thing I'm doing. But I wouldn't care about age. I'd look at them as they're driving. They're doing exact times that I'm doing. I need to see them as a problem, not as, like, who they are. Mm -hmm. Long-term, I want to, like, I want to keep driving. No matter, no matter what it is, whether mm-hmm. I'm a coach, I rent seats, or I'm offering 
my car, just, you know, having my car out there being on track or just anything like related to racing. That's like all I want. You're going to be the game no matter what. Yeah. No matter what it would, no matter what it is, whether I'm servicing a car, taking care of it, (laughs) like helping someone work something out with the car, just basically car and racing related. But, but you rather, you rather drive. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, we talked so much about, the racing and all the corollaries of, of, of life and all of that. But I mean, one of the reasons, and we knew this, I think early, early on is like, at some point we're going to get together and figure out how to, um, like help you optimize some of your, um, racing and strategy based on data. Mm -hmm. Like cars generate so much data. Yeah. And the first time we did that, obviously, was the telemetry data um, for the last car. And, you know, we'd never done this before, but, you know, we took all that data. We essentially um, put into, like, you know, BigQuery and, and, and visualized it with Data Studio. And, and it was, like, kind of you could reenact the entire race kind mm-hmm. of visually. And, and we, we built that. And... Um, and I think we're just kind of scratching the surface. And, and I think every um, uh, series has its own rules around what you can and cannot do with that data. Um, but, you know, we really kind of want to continue pushing the envelope on that with you. Mm-hmm. And then there's this concept of like, you know, some, some cars you're allowed to get the data real time and some cars you're not allowed to get the data real time. But can you, can you imagine like, even based on kind of what we did around next, like how do, how do you, how do you best kind of put that data to use to, to change your strategy? The biggest thing that, you know, the SOTA systems technology is allowing us to do is whether the car lets us or not is having, is having the ability to pull that real time data. Um, and having that, obviously we can have the edge, over our competitors, you know, we know exactly how the car is reacting, you know, mm-hmm. exactly what the driver is doing, um, exactly how much fuel is left, measure the temperatures, and having that knowledge is such a huge factor and a huge gain. I mean, racing is so much knowledge compared to actual driving, mm-hmm. you know, have, knowing the strategies, that's such a huge huge gain and I think that's you know the biggest thing about having that technology in our back pocket and being able to use it that's such a huge like benefactor to us yeah I think and and U.S. Racetronics and and Shane and team have been very supportive in in kind of breaking new ground you Mm -hmm. know um of course at the at like the F1 level and NASCAR like that's done uh more kind of and have more rules governing what you can do but mm-hmm. it's done more typically like of course they have that because yeah but that's, teams but that's because you know the series allows it they have like yes. the crazy budget to do that yeah, too exactly so what we want to do is continue to help you get an unfair advantage <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean if it's it's in the rules it's fine yeah yeah but you know maybe we're not, we're not breaking maybe them. they don't you know not every racer has you know a relationship <laughs> with asada that can do this kind of stuff for you <laughs> um steven thank you so much for joining me today i think this is a different kind of a 
a podcast, but I think, you know, again, there's so many corollaries to, to your journey and to our journey and just sort of like, you know, racing is sort of the, the epitome of speed and risk and, and the competitive spirit and the mental acuity required to do anything fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's like being in a car going that fast for many, many years at different levels. It's just certain kind of discipline and, and, and headspace that's required to do that. So um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think our listeners will enjoy it too. <laughs> and we wish you continued success on Thank the next you. one. And this whole season, I think you can make a comeback, man. Big time. Hopefully. Yeah. Cross my I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.